have a shocking update for you. I'm listening. So as of late, you know, a new starlet, new to us, I should say, has come into our lives. And I learned a shocking fact about Olivia Rodrigo, which is that she was actually born several months after this Kaya book came out. Oh, my God. I feel really old. I Maybe I am a geriatric millennial after all. I don't know anymore. So honestly, while her family was preparing for her arrival, Kaya was hitting the scene. And then early 2003 is when we were graced with a future American Girl star of Grace Stares Up Success. Yes, American Girl did launch your favorite newly licensed driver and mine. Wow, you heard it here first. Good for her. Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. Well, Allison, you know, I'm really proud of you and of me uh, for returning here voluntarily to continue talking about Kaya. Me too. And I have to say, it was our friend, I'm calling him a friend, very Harry Hill, who pointed out this kind of American Girl pipeline to us. We were not aware of the various connections, nor were we prepared to know that this book came out before our new favorite pop star. You know, that was a shock, just as her album has been a shock. I don't know, Allison, if you've had a chance to drink in Sour, but it is it is really a vibe. It's a whole mood. If you're not in a great place, I wouldn't recommend listening to this, you know, on repeat. But I do know several people who are currently doing that, myself included. So have you listened to it yet? I only listen to singles. So I have only listened to, I'm serious. I have only listened to the singles and I have enjoyed those very much. Do I think that Deja Vu is about the war in Iraq? Yes, I do. Wow. Do I think it's possibly also about Kaya and her sister? Yes. Wow. Oh my God. I'm sorry. That's just hitting me. You know, I am in a good place in my life, generally speaking. So listening to this album is probably not hitting me in the same way as if, you know, I was a teenager who just broke up with somebody. But, you know, at the same time, I do think this album is very good. By the way, you saying you only take in singles is very Gen Z of you. And me saying I like albums, I feel like it's sort of like not even millennial, like almost Gen X or something. But I was just talking with someone else and they were saying the same thing that like people don't listen to whole albums anymore, which is a shock to me. But this whole album is very, very good. I think people who care about music listen to entire albums. I like to know what people are talking about. So I didn't even know that Deja Vu was one of her songs. It was just one of my favorite TikTok audios. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, that's wonderful. So I mean, that's truly how not food in I am. I think there's something though, specifically brilliant about that song, which is someone had this very funny tweet and we'll link to it, which is, you know, Olivia Rodrigo being criticized for writing songs about a breakup and someone saying, what is she supposed to write about the Civil War? And (laughs) what I think is interesting about that, too, is there are 
really interesting to me, like deep elements of that song, which is about like the way that some people in the United States get to live is as a consequence of what happens in the rest of the world. And Mm. honestly, all I can think about is our ongoing wars when I hear that song, which is like people are able to live happy and healthy lives, not everyone, partially because of what's happening in other parts of the world. And I feel like that's her Gen Z quality coming out like this hyper attentiveness to hypocrisy that's me like that's my read I think that's a really good read I mean I was a little embarrassed to admit this to people that I really love her album because immediately like the day her album dropped there was immediately memes of making fun of people our generation who were bonding with her album because we're too old which is like hard for me to sit with but I think probably fair but I think we're living through a renaissance of what some call bedroom pop which is you know, like dreamy songs that people write in their bedrooms, teenagers, whatever. But I think as you're saying, I think so much of the criticism of that context, especially when it's a young woman, is really gendered and misleading and wrong because I don't think you have to know the intent of an author or artist to take something from their words or from their music. So, you know, it makes sense to me that she writes really, you know, captivating songs and people can take them to mean a whole slew of things. Well, her launching point, Grace Stirs Up Success, is a story of a young person who has to become bilingual and keep a family, a multi-generational family business going in France. And if you recall back to the early 2000s, there was a lot of hostility against France at the beginning of the two wars that the United States waged in the Middle East because there was criticism from that country. So we had a freedom fry moment like, did Olivia help to heal that? I don't know. We'll, we'll give her credit for it. I mean, why not at this point? I think so. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, Harry Hill and others immediately pointed us to this, like, very pivotal moment. It's like, what hasn't American Girl touched? Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly. Hard topics, but, you know, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. This book is actually very A lot difficult. of topics. Um, yes, this book is a lot. We'll get to it in one moment. But it is, you know, I'm very happy for her. It's just like, I'm really happy to see her glow up. Yet another Disney property person who is emerged to be an auteur in a way and really establish her own voice outside of um, High School Musical. The musical, I guess, is what she was most recently a part of. I'm saying that with the confidence of a person who's never seen the original High School Musical. So I don't know of what I speak and I'm prepared for the blowback on that. But other than Demi Lovato, this is you know probably my favorite post-Disney musical debut. Wow. But that's Britney as well. I don't count Britney. Like, I don't I don't accept that in the canon. Like, Britney is her own shining star. Like, I don't I have to erase the Mickey Mouse Club reboot. Okay. Because I think it's unfair. It gives like unfair credit to he who shall not be named on this podcast. The mouse? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. <Okay>. That's exactly <laughs> right. Not, That's exactly not. right. Yeah. So, like, speaking of animal companions, we read Kaya and Lone Dog, which is the fourth installment of the Kaya series. And what a shock. It is not a birthday story. It is a friendship story. And if you put down Happy Birthday, Kirsten, and you thought, okay, what if this wasn't a settler colonial story and we replaced dogs with kittens? Oh, boy. I mean, buckle up. Your dream's about to come true. Um, Wow. Janet took that feedback and said, okay, well, that's book four. 
Yep, she hit her dream journal and was like, okay, if that's what the people want, let's do it. I love it. Yeah, this book has a lot of interesting characters. And I'll just say, you know, I haven't forgotten about Kaya's sister. The Never illustrators forget. might have. Lone Dog immediately gets a front spot. Lone Dog is an important um, animal character from this book. Immediately gets a front portrait. That was a bit of a shock to me. I mean, there's many shocking moments in this book. Are you prepared to jump right into it? Honestly, I am. Okay, let's do this. Mary, we are so excited to be sponsored by HelloFresh. As you know, like, you know, my bookcase is full. My heart is full. My pantry often is not. So this is where HelloFresh comes in and makes your life a lot simpler. HelloFresh offers 27 plus recipes to choose from every single week with vegetarian meals and calorie smart choices to craft burgers and extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy with all recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts. This ensures deliciousness and simplicity, which I need. HelloFresh also uses fresh ingredients that are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. And contact-free, because we do still worry about that, of course. Yes, and speaking of worries, Allison, you know that like cooking is not necessarily my top life skill, and sometimes I do injure myself in basic activities, like, did I throw out my neck this week from flossing? Yes, that happened. Um, so making these dinners together have obviously have like really stepped up my game because it doesn't really require a lot of skill or talent or time. And yet the end result is really amazing. So we made these burgers with, um, I think it was like Swiss cheese and something else. I forget the exact title. If you look through the menu, you'll find it. They were phenomenal, like genuinely really, really good. Did not take a lot of time. So even working from home still, at the end of the day, you don't want to make something that takes forever. This really cuts down prep time. And the end result is delish. Uh, Did not injure myself. My neck is fine after making these burgers. Very happy to report that. So if you want to go on the journey that I've been on, that Allison has been on to make these delicious meals, Go to HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls12 and use code AmericanGirls12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Definitely check it out today and let us know what you make. So before I read the publisher's summary, I want to read to you what I think is an important line of the book because I also kind of felt like Janet was talking to me. Uh Uh-oh. So this line says, you told me your story to ask what I think about it, didn't you? Which is like a moment of intergenerational conflict. So I'll let that kind of stew with you for a moment. But this is a dog story. When Kaya befriends a lone dog that has wandered near her camp, others in the village warn her to be careful. Dogs don't usually live by themselves, and some people think the lone dog is not to be trusted. But Kaya brings the dog food and can feel her gratefulness. After Lone Dog gives birth to pups, she lets Kaya be a part of her new family. When Kaya looks into Lone Dog's eyes, it's as if the dog is speaking to her. Kaya's grandmother tells her that if an animal speaks to her, she needs to listen. But as the pups grow, Lone Dog has something else to say, something Kaya does not want to hear. Damn, that's all I can say. This, okay, the summaries of all of these books never really fully do them justice. But as someone, I just want to say from the jump, and this may have 
like colored the way that I read this book. I am not a dog person. I've never had a dog. We were not allowed to have them growing up. My mom told us she was allergic to dogs and cats. Turns out that wasn't true. She just didn't want us to have pets. Um, That's fine. But all to say, I don't have a personal connection to a dog. So maybe that kind of idea of the dog is speaking to me or I have this intense connection to an animal, maybe that's passed me by. So maybe that's the strangeness of this book to me. But I don't know. There's a lot in this book that strikes me as odd. What do you think? So the relationship that Kaya has with multiple dogs in this story, a lot of that is shaped by the fact that that is a really strong piece of her culture. Mm -hmm. And so, so many of the other stories to this point have focused on the Nez Perce as being horse people. And additional texts kind of around this book really hit home this point that there's this valued and long-time cherished Nez Perce belief, which is that animals have always talked to people, but at some point people stopped listening. Hmm. And so this is a, a traditional and ongoing belief of her people. That said, the way that this book is written, the issues that she is having are not really with animals and they're not really about the communication with animals. It's the way that other people respond to how she interprets talking to those animals. That might seem like kind of a weird distinction, but that's actually really the through line of this book. Yeah, I think a major theme that I'm seeing in this book is sort of like impressions and what you make of those first impressions with dogs, with people, with nature and your place in it. So there's a lot of, as you're saying, I think the central point is that if you, if an impression strikes you when you meet a situation in this book or how you process your emotions, that's another piece of it, what you make of that is actually like revealing it of you as a person. And that's the problem that they have with her is sort of like the meaning she assigns to these impressions. And we can go through some of them, but it. I also was struck too that this seems to be a very spiritual book. Like if you think about American Girl and zoom out a little bit, a lot of times I've been reflecting on the times when spirituality or religion does enter the frame or doesn't. And when it would make sense and it's not there, it seems glaring, but it also is glaring um, in some ways in the ways that it appears. But so this book, it from the jump, we have a reference to the creator and how people should interact with um, the gifts that the creator offers to the tribe. So the way this shows up early in the book is that she's preparing and the women are preparing to harvest roots. And essentially, Kaya understands that she's still feeling her grief um, for swan circling. And she tells her grandmother that she, quote, has a lot of sadness in me on page five. And instead of sort of dropping down into that moment and being like, hey, again, you didn't do anything wrong and she would be proud of you and I'm sorry you're grieving or like having a conversation about grief itself, the grandmother bypasses that and basically says, okay, if you're feeling grief, you should stay away from being a part of this harvest ceremony or work. Um, and says, let others work with the food until your dark thoughts leave you and the time of mourning is over in your heart. You can join us when your thoughts are clear again. Um, 
And this also relates back to like Kaya had just said on page four, she prays that nothing she has said or done or thought would cause her people to go hungry. So there's a real belief that your thoughts and feelings might make an impression on the land, on the harvest, on the creator. And she doesn't want to jeopardize kind of the food security of her tribe. So like that's a major first impression or you know, kind of uh, transference that you get like literally on page four and five. We also learn that Kaya is still struggling, not just with the loss of her sister, but with the death of her friend, her hero, Swan Circling, and that that is really impacting the way that she is. I do wonder if part of what they're trying to communicate there is her well-being in a way is more important than just getting the task done. which is the complete opposite ethic. Like if we were to think about, let's put ourselves on a ship in the Atlantic being run by a British fleet in 1764, like there's no such thing as, you know, your sadness might not make you the best candidate for this job. There's do it or get flogged, right? Um, And I think what's what's really um, very different about this book, and I think Kirsten really is like the best comparison the many, many ways in which people think about how they affect the environment around them. And there is almost a dialogic relationship, a back and forth is so different from Kirsten, who's like, that's my honey, bear is in my way. There's even a raccoon moment on page 19. And it's like, Janet, here we go again. Here we are again. She can't help herself. She can't, but you're right. There's a central difference of even in this work of harvesting, there is no conversation about individual ownership or, you know, I have to get enough for my family. It's like whatever is harvested will be shared equally among the tribe, which is, as you're saying, so different even from Kirsten's family and their relationships with the land. And it also reminds us, you know, because it's, it's not as if there's, no ideas about ownership, right? Like, because that's another thing where people kind of make it seem like there weren't any cons. That's absolutely not true. They have concepts of belonging and community and land and power. And I think part of what's also happening in this book is they trust their dog, Snowpaws, to tell them if Lone Dog is bad news or not. And Snowpaws is like, not on my watch. Are we letting Lone Dog in? And I will just say, to be fully transparent, this book pushed my own personal knowledge of what is the difference between a dog and a wolf, because part of the central tension is whether this dog, in quotes, is like good company to be brought in or whether this is a dangerous wild animal who shouldn't be part of the community. Cut to me Googling eight times, what's a dog and what's a wolf? And I'm not ashamed what is, of that. Listen, I'm right there with you, especially when the grandmother tells the story about the origin story of how we get coyotes versus dog versus wolves. Yes. You know, it was a beautiful story, but it didn't actually offer you an explanation of why, other than like being in packs versus being alone, there's not a real difference there. So, I mean, look, I'm always looking to learn more. I'd really love to benefit from your knowledge. You know, what did you find? What did Dr. Google tell you? I'm going to take you back to when you learned the kind of structure of how things get named. So when we look at dog versus wolf, they're in the same kingdom, class, phylum, order, and genus, and it comes down to species. So the 
dog is the Canis lupus familiaris, right? So we're fam. A wolf is Canis lupus. There is a huge speed difference by about 30% of what they can travel. Um, there are slight differences in the family that they are part of. Wolves lead shorter lives and they tend to live in packs because they function differently. And this is also at the heart, you know, speaking of community ethic versus individualist ethic. Snowpaws feels like Lone Dog is not it to join the community because they don't understand, the dog doesn't understand why this animal is alone. Got and it. It is kind of like an interesting thing about, you know, in other contemporary cultures, this fear of the outsider. Like this yes. really is the animal equivalent of like, she doesn't go here. Well, it, it did strike <laughs> me that this also does draw heavily in its use of wolf imagery on dances with wolves regrettably i'm not saying that as a humble brag but it's like janet can't we all agree that that was perhaps a misfire like but there's a whole element in that movie where you know kevin costner's character keeps seeing a wolf who's alone and then basically domesticates the wolf who keeps returning to his fort and he's there alone and so the two bond and like basically the metaphor is they're both outsiders who then he ends up like joining the tribe at the end of the film for those who should not waste two hours of their lives on this movie. But it's interesting that both of them play with received knowledge about wolves to make an argument about native culture in some way, or in Kevin Costner's case about a white man um, attempting to join a native culture. I'm going to shock you. 2002, like something was in the water. Benefer? Several several of the top grossing dog films of all time all came out in 2002. Oh my God. So I compiled a list of, you know, Canis Lupus Familiaris films. Oh boy. This is just some of them. Snow Dogs, (gasps) Dog Soldiers, one of the Air Bud films, not the original Air Bud. Love Air Bud. Balto 2, Cyber Mutt, K9 PI, The Hound of Baskerville's reboot, and Scooby-Doo. So here's what this says to me. People were like, we want dogs on the battlefield. We want dogs in snow. We want dogs playing basketball. We want them on computers. We want them solving crimes. We want them in Sherlock Holmes stories. They're like, cannot get enough. But it's like, when you think about it, we were genuinely by and large a nation that was in crisis post 9-11 I'm honestly being serious and like a lot of people I think much like in 2020 and to the present took stock of their lives and the number of people who have acquired dogs in the past year I do think something happened post 9-11 where people were feeling differently about family or relationships and like I don't have that backed up by like dog adoption rates but in Hollywood they probably figured dog Because honestly, a cat is not here for you in crisis. I mean, as we saw last night, like listeners, just so that we're aware, last night, Allison and I both had thunderstorms where we live. I was freaking out. I'm not even kidding. A flash of light went through our apartment. I was like hiding under the covers. I took to my bed. It was not bedtime. I'm texting you and I'm like, are you safe? Whatever. And you send me a picture of Ray who was also struggling. And I was like, I feel seen. Thank you. Yeah, my cat Raymond struggling was, was not really a support, I would say, but he and I were not built for these times. I'm just saying if there's a thunderstorm, don't call me. I can't help you with anything at that time because that's all I can think about. 
No, like we've had different moments where wolves, I think, are cultural icons and particularly this notion of like the wolf of Wall Street or like hungry like the wolf, right? Like the Great wolf song. plays a moment in kind of these cultures of excess. And what's interesting about this kind of dog moment is Kaya really, once again, we see her in a community where she's very close with a lot of people. But I think that this book from the 10,000 foot perspective is trying to remind us that animals are really as important in her culture and in the family in which she lives as people. And this is very different from a Felicity who's like, I got to play and ride with Penny. This is still a very different, and they really are contemporaries pretty much. This is a different relationship where people around Kaya are saying like, you actually have to trust other animals that we trust in your assessment of Lone Dog. Like, that's different. It's very different. And I think something that's different too is that in, in their culture and so far as we're getting a window into it, into this book, animals are invested with personhood um you get a sense that lone dog lone dog is such a huge character in this book that they have their own personality we're seeing conversations between them in which kaya is sort of articulating what she imagines lone dog is trying to communicate but it seems plausible whereas in with felicity penny is almost an accessory to be consumed or to be bought and actually stolen at the end of the day but you have no sense of like penny has personhood there's an eternal life there does she want to go with Felicity, who can say anymore? I mean, she's not, she's in an abusive situation, so probably, but, you know, it doesn't have the same sense of her being this enduring character in the way that Lone Dog does. So I think that is a major difference. I'm still just like stunned by the number of dog movies that came out this year. And when you read those titles together, it also strikes me that none of them, all of them are like such playful conceits, which seems to make sense too. Airbud is Airbud is like triggering to me because at the time I was trying out for a basketball team and my friend didn't make it and she basically turned to me and was like it's really a bleak time for me because like I, we're living in a time when a dog makes a team and I don't and I was like that's hard I don't know what to say to you like that's hard well he was really talented and he got a sequel too it's like damn he I don't got know multiple according he to got multiple list. I mean some of them were straight to video but I mean damn like that's you know it's hard for me to be there for my friend I was like yeah I don't know it's really I don't know what to say to you like that's hard won't find anything in there that says a dog can't play he's right ain't no rules that the dog can't play basketball But this breaks so powerfully with the conventions of other fourth American girl books in the perspective of all of the fourth books written up to this point are about girls getting something Mm -hmm. and them having ownership over it to some degree. And even in Addie's case, where it's a real sort of accomplishment for the family, it is about that thing coming into your life or that moment coming into your life, this relationship by necessity has to be reciprocal. And in the end, a dog chooses Kaya. A dog chooses to spend its life with Kaya. And this is a dog that you can purchase for $26 on the American Girl Excuse website. Me? Um, so Tatlo is available for purchase. This is a pup who ultimately stays with Kaya after Lone Dog and the other animals go away. But I want to put Tatlo in conversation with other fourth book present merch in the context of those birthday stories. Molly McIntyre gets a dog. Bennett, as we know, Bennett disappears and never We haven't forgotten again. Bennett, but she, <laughs> she almost has. immediately did. Yes. Um, 
Kirsten receives kittens and a quilt. We see you, Janet. Felicity, of course, has the guitar. Um, Josefina gets time with her family, which is kind of a question mark, but there is a, a more complex story there. Addie has ice cream and time with her family. Samantha gets a teddy bear, a carriage, and a suffrage speech. So it's like <laughs> we've run a full gamut of American culture. Um, we learn through the merch description that Tatlo uh, is... Um, ground squirrel that's what that means um he's about the size of that and he's very small but he's a smart and loyal companion and to me he's also a vehicle of like adventure is coming because kaya is pumped that she has someone to be her companion in addition to her horse that's yes that is true i was after hearing all of these things you can buy related to the birthdays and how it's mainly about receiving a gift i do think you could make an argument that this book is about kaya receiving like self-possession that's the gift that she attains by the end of the book because essentially the whole book everyone in her life is like you're wrong about this dog like she goes to the first of all she helps build a sweat house for all the women in her family but in the village And in one scene, they're all together. And essentially, literally every woman in her family is like, this dog is bad news. Like, do not hang out with this dog. It will attack you. Like, it's vicious. We don't even know if it's a dog. It might be a wolf. Like, grandma's giving conflicting messages all over the place where she's like, do not approach that animal. Like, I don't know how else to say this to you. And Kai's like, but would it change your mind if I told you that I channeled Swan Circling and what she would do. And I also made a vow to this dog that I would feed it every day. And she's like, hmm, well, okay, if you made a vow, like, you do have to honor that. But do not go near this dog. And essentially, like, she is rebellious in a sense, but she has this higher, like, calling almost or message that this is the right thing to do. And then essentially at the end of the book, the dog, again, these twin brothers are a menace, like she tells him to stay away from the dog. She's like, don't go near this dog, especially after it's had pups. Like, do not go near this dog. It will be defensive. It might attack you. You don't know it. So, of course, they go near the dog. And a bear enters the scene and almost attacks her, one of her brothers. And the and lone dog actually comes out of its little, like, nest area and, f- like, scares off the bear and saves her brother. And then that sort of turns the tide of opinion within the tribe. But it's like, that was a lot. Like, did it take that event to have the tribe, like, trust both Kaya's opinion of this dog and also to, like, change the opinion of the dog itself? I think it speaks to something we discussed on our last episode, which was about status and the way that people in this community do all seem to be treated with dignity, but trust has to be built and rebuilt. And I do feel like Janet had on the wall, like, some silly string and she was like okay i'm going back to the kirsten (laughs) notes wilderness moment problematic brother brothers she's like okay twins great pet not gonna do a birthday but we are gonna do a kind of coming of age okay so mary when you were younger you were probably looking for different places to get information about your skin or like different care and keeping of you concerns and Maybe that came for you in a book. Maybe you were lucky enough to have the internet, but it can be super hard to know what actually works. For example, should you be putting Windex on your face a la my big fat Greek wedding? I never tried that. For legal reasons, I did not try that. Oh my God. 
There is a different way, which is Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company that offers science-based, so real oral and topical medications clinically proven to help with acne and other skin issues. Yeah, so apostrophe has been kind of a godsend to us. I mean, we've had different skincare journeys, but I think the thing we can both agree on is that in your 30s, your skin is not a foregone conclusion. You know, maybe your skin rebels against you. That's my story. Never really had any teen tragic skincare stories, but my 30s are somewhat of a different story. You know, am I afraid I'm turning into a crone? Hard to say, but apostrophe has been really easy and effective to work with. So just so you know how it works, you basically go on their website, you answer some very brief, easy questions, and then you're matched with a real dermatologist. And they you know, actually look at photos of your skin, of your face, and they tailor a plan to your exact needs. And submitting this visit was super quick, and it didn't require me to schedule an appointment, which is really helpful in busy days, even working at home during a pandemic. Something I loved about what I received was it came in this really great little box right in my mailbox. It felt awesome when I actually put it on my face, which is also always huge. And we have a special deal just for our audience. You can save $15 off your first visit with a board certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash American Girls Pod when you use our code American Girls Pod. This code is only available to our listeners. It's interesting that this is framed to the public by the publisher as a friendship story, because I think we are socialized to think of friendship as people. Mm. And yet this is really hitting on such an important relationship for so many young people, which is that animals can teach you things as much as you might be taught how to train an animal when you're a child. I was talking to a woman once and she said, you know, I value my pets in a way that is very similar to how I value my children. And she was like, I get pushback for that. But she was like, my animals love me in a way that my children do not. And that love is really important to her. And I was like, wow, yeah, I think people are often quick to kind of compartmentalize like, well, but this is the most important relationship. Honestly, Kaya learns so much about herself and the world through this animal. And I have to imagine that was probably an important point that the Nez Perce contributors like wanted to come through this book. I think it makes sense. And I think listening to you speak on this, that it also reveals sort of our, our continuing cultural poverty around languages of friendship. So it's not only just that I think we don't really have a meaningful way to discuss what pets mean to people, but also what friendship actually is and what it can look like. I mean, people call dogs man's best friend, which like, okay, like that's a well-known thing. It makes sense. But I think, you know, just even thinking about you and Ray, like your relationship to Ray, like my God, cat, beautiful. You know, what language would make sense to describe what your relationship to Raymond is like and what he means for you in your life? I don't know. But I mean, I think it's like something in the wheelhouse of friendship, right? Uh, he can't speak to that and wouldn't. He probably wouldn't. Like, sadly, he's too cool for both of us. But and I mean, it's like he depends on you. So it's not a relationship among equals. But, no. you know, and he is he does reject a lot of your affection, which is tough to watch. But <laughs> it is. You know, he's played a really meaningful role in your life. And I think something, an area that people can still work on and think about is, 
you know, the ways in which your relationship with animals can be so powerful and so meaningful, even if we don't have the language exactly to describe what that is. And I think this book also plays with the fact that there have long been kind of messy boundaries between what's a pet and what is an animal that's kind of around you. Like I see the same rabbits when I walk out of my house every day. They're not my pets. We're not Uh friends. (laughs) But nervous now. And reading through Kaya's world, I was really struck by how many of the title pages are about just different animals. And thinking back to, say, Samantha's world as a counterexample, there was like entire pages on the bicycle, the triangle shirtwaist. This Kaya's world does a good job, I think, of narrowing in on the actual entities that would have been around a girl like Kaya all the time. So there's a whole page on the significance of bears, of deer, of Mm. salmon, which are sacred to the Nez Perce, of buffalo. And there's a line in there that I thought was really cool, which is part of Nez Perce wisdom is that humans were the last and therefore the youngest creatures on earth. And I think your perspective shifts from like, I own this animal, I have dominion over this animal, right? Like this is a thing I own and I walk every day to this animal is here to teach me things and I am a caretaker of the earth to support that animal and vice versa. Yeah, I think 100%. And I think it sort of explains in a way why animal therapies, um, such as they exist now, are so successful. Because even though you can't necessarily articulate their value, there's, you know, real um, therapeutic effects that people have found just by, you know, like horse therapy and, you know, having a you know, a service animal in your life has a real therapeutic and health effect. And I think in some ways, this cultural value system anticipates that by just respecting um, kind of where humans fit in the bigger scheme of things and also what animals can teach and offer. I mean, I think there is a line here, though, of like, what when does it become trauma bonding with Lone Dog? Because when you first meet Lone Dog as a character, the first thing you're told is that it's already wounded. And so it wasn't lost on me that like we're coming off of a book where she loses her mentor and hero and she's very much grieving, understandably, and then meets a literally wounded dog and latches on to um, this animal who then becomes like a significant relationship and the dog's child becomes her like, I guess, permanent pet when the tribe is going to move on according to their their cycle of migrating and Lone Dog like doesn't come with. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know where that line is, but it does seem like there's something going on there. When Kaya says to her grandmother that she recognizes the pain and suffering in Lone Dog because she herself has been a starving person. And there's some really affecting lines around that. Um, I did think of the books that we have read in this series so far. I found a lot of the texture of the writing very beautiful. I did find that I was appreciating Mm -hmm. a lot of the moments. And 
each one of these Kaya books so far um, have started in this very particular way where Kaya is connecting with something or is like touching the earth, right? Like there's always this kind of moment that is quite literally very grounding. And then I think more than other stories in American Girl that we've read so far, I'm really feeling her internal development. And I feel like there is an awareness and a consciousness to the way this character is written that like we were crying out for with Josefina. Yes. Josefina has these moments where like there's grief and there's sadness and she's kind of like, "Ah." well, (laughs) yeah, a hundred percent. And my favorite scene in the book actually for this and thinking about animals, therapeutic power And when the grandmother is like actually really intuitive about what's going on is when Kaya comes to the grandmother and is really distraught because she thinks that Lone Dog will not be traveling with the tribe when they move on. And the grandmother kind of puts it back to her and says like, well, how would you feel? I mean, first she says, well, you could tie up Lone Dog so that you make sure that they travel with us. And she immediately says, well, no, because I remember when I was enslaved and I was tied up every night, how much I hated that. And it made me really value my freedom. So I would never want to do that to an animal. And the grandmother's like, okay, like, you know, and leading her on this path to then she owns this decision of like, I want the best thing for the animal. But it also kind of in that conversation invites her to speak about what was, I'm sure, an incredibly traumatic experience that otherwise we have not heard her speak about with a family member and I just kind of thought in that scene of Josefina that it would have been nice to have her sooner in the series have someone in her life kind of find a means or a bridge to talk about something really painful. The way that that relationship is also written about is not just that Kaya meets this animal it's that the animal invites Kaya to be part of her life and her mothering which is like a very different um as someone who had a lot of cats give birth in the garage I don't think those cats were inviting me in on that process (laughs) nor the chickens or the rabbits that we raised I think it was best I stayed away from those moments but um you know To your point, too, about the difficulties in this book, this is the first Kaya book where I've observed kind of mixed reactions, surprisingly. I think maybe Hmm. people who um, were really shocked by the second book or or didn't connect with it maybe just didn't take take that review timer or didn't feel compelled to write. This is the first book where I think maybe the dog kind of lured people in and then they really felt kind of taken aback. Um, Reviewer Sarah says, I'm kind of at a loss for how I feel about the Kaya series. It's difficult to read each book having its own traumatic incident and there seems to be few moments of joy. Eli says, weakest installment, but I'm a cat person, so what do I know? Wow. I mean, you have to know a cat person's going to throw a wrench into these reviews because cat people will let you know. Like, if they're in a dog cultural product, they'll let you know. Yes. Well, and I mean, others, I think, are interested in, like, her emotional well-being, but all of this is really so different than conversations we've had around Samantha, right? Who lives in a very different context. It's like, how does she come to understand her privilege? In this case, it's a very different set of relationships that she's negotiating. And for whatever reason, Janet decides like every book to me is like a new stew. It's like, don't get comfortable with swan circling. Don't get comfortable with dogs. 
they're mostly leaving. It makes me scared. Like, well, who are we going to leave or lose next? And and that is kind of, um, that's a choice. I mean, I think that first, I take that first reviewer's point and your point that, you know, it seems like Janet's brand is chaos and there's not a lot of centering of stories on joy or just... I don't know, like human development. It's always like there's a traumatic event. There truly has been a traumatic event in every single book. And and it's sort of like equating someone or an animal's worth with their ability to protect someone else or live through a traumatic event. And I think that's just kind of getting old as a trope with even within this series. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping we can pivot away from this. I don't have high hopes just because of how this has all gone so far, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. I think something possibly informing this, it's in the peak into the past and it's in Kaya's world as well, um, which by the way, this particular peak into the past absolutely belonged on book three because yep. it's all about babies. <laughs> I feel like they copied and pasted the wrong stuff and they yes. were like, just go with it. Run um, with it. Scooby-Doo's coming out. We got to compete. So. I looked through this and in both of those sources, there's this very real insistence that within the Nez Perce community, age five is when you're really expected to kind of have a greater sense of self-mastery, control, Mm. and contributions to the community. And so I think part of this is also trying to find ways to account for the fact that being of Kaya's age and number of years on the planet is going to be so different from every other girl we've met so far. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's why the placement of the grandmother and her prominence in the books is probably so important to kind of see this sketch, this kind of life cycle and also invite you to imagine a bridge between what was the grandmother's life and what will be Kaya's lifetime. Because even in this book, the grandmother has a prophecy. There's a trading scene. And originally her husband or her partner brings her um, beads that are, I guess, like newer in fashion. They're they're blue as opposed to regular shell beads. And she basically says, like, I like the old ways. Like, And then he gives her the traditional shells, which she uses to awkwardly be like, ooh, these would be nice on a dress for someone getting married. Like, hint, hint, like to Kaya's sister, which like we're all waiting on that engagement, but whatever. Um, but then she says, like, everybody stop and listen to me. I have a story I need to tell you. And it's a prophecy in which she re- she has a dream in which she would receive some red fabric and it's in her hands. And then the fabric disappears and it just leaves blood on her hands. And it comes from trading with, quote, pale faces. So she's kind of offering the book and speaking to us, I think, signaling this generational difference, like. She has living memory of seeing white people. Kaya has never seen a white person that we know of. And yet Kaya's whole adulthood and life will be shaped by the trajectory of migration, of white people, of imperialism, of all these things that the grandmother has not necessarily dealt with that much. So I think you're right that, you know, that kind of generational moment, the self-mastery that's true of their tribe, but like they have to, the author and the series has to do something to mitigate that and signal that her self-mastery is happening, but also like that the context of that self-mastery will really complicate that, that trajectory. This is also just, I don't know, to me, it also feels like a scene that has played out in other books and with very different stakes in the same way. Like when Grand Mary says to Samantha, basically like, listen up, I'm in charge. 
Yep. And the thing that she says to Kaya and and really to everyone is old ways are safe ways. Mm. And I think that is one of the difficulties that Kaya is going through because if Kaya had just followed the old ways or the safe ways, it's like she already has this internal monologue of self-blame. And I think when she looks at the way that Snowpaws is reacting to Lone Dog, she's in this kind of um, spiral. Like, okay, well, the last time I didn't listen, my sister ended up an enslaved person and I had to leave her behind. Like, you know, she's not dealing with the same kinds of things that other young people might be. And Mm -hmm. so that's a real challenge for her. And then, you know, honestly, like grandma really does pivot. It's like we kind of were just having time. Um and she's not I mean, wrong. she's not wrong, but it's like her party vibe is like totally chaotic and somewhat reckless because, again, in this scene, we were just celebrating the fact that um, Two Hawks sees a Salish trader and is basically like, I know those people. They can tell me news of my family. And one they are, there's this beautiful reunion scene. And grandma's like, everybody, can I just like for one second, quick aside, not a big deal. I had a dream where I see blood on my hands and everyone's like, er, you can just like imagine this scene. I don't know. Like in a way it's like, is grandma Leo? I don't know. Like she found a way to take a scene about something that was like joyful and about not her and something completely different. was like, but back to one, if we could, um, blood on my hands, just so everyone's aware. Um, this also doesn't end line- well. I think Snowpaws knows more about this lone dog than you do is so I think I know more about American Girl doll than 100%. You do. Oh my god. Something cool I did learn and we're told about this, you know, the ongoing impact of imperialism and the very real changes that do come past grandma's lifetime. One of those is that wolves become an endangered species. And we learn about this in the back of the book. And a kind of cool update is when this book was written, they were still on that endangered species list. And the Nez Perce were doing a lot and are still doing a lot to um, keep wolves I want to say communities, but packs safe. And as of October 2020, wolves are not on the Endangered Species Act uh, or Endangered Species list. And I've read a few books about wolves in Yellowstone. And honestly, something kind of cool about wolves, speaking to this bigger point, where wolves are thriving, the entire ecosystem is different. Hmm. So the fact that wolves and dogs are so genetically similar, yet like wolves have this amazing impact on the environment, I think it is kind of a parallel to the way that dogs are so a part of people's lives and also so important to people's communities. I think that's true. Wow. Some rare good news about nature. Thank you. I know. I don't know if Balto 2 got us there or if this book got us there, but I do also want to thank the reviewer who always, um, Katie, she always names us in her Goodreads review. She's like, I'm reading this to keep up with my pod. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Katie. mentioned that all of the AG puppies are male. And I was like, okay, this is a shock. Wow. Caro, Jip, and Bennett, along with Tatlow, are all men. And I was like, I didn't know. Wow. Wow. I guess, like, we should have realized that, but I guess we haven't. That's a problem. You know, if that is something that we've missed, that's why we have people, like, 
you know, Katie or the reviewer Panda Incognito, like they keep us <laughs> honest. Thank you, they Panda. Do. Thank you, Panda. Wow. They do keep us honest. I hope that changes in a future book. I mean, I don't know if Courtney has a dog, but I don't know where the brand's at with that right now, but please fix it. That's all I have to say. Maybe she has a wolf. <laughs> oh, wow. I would, I would, I would love that for her. Yeah. I, I can honestly say I have no idea where this series takes us next, but I know that typically we would be having a young person save the day. We've had four of those books, so I can only imagine um, wherever Janet is on that mood board, it's like bear check. Maybe bees are coming. We haven't really had oh my a bee God. moment or a barn moment. I don't, I don't think I just want to really say, fits. like, Kyle, like, save yourself. Like, be a one-woman star of a production all called Dances with Dogs. Like, stay close to the tribe. Do not take on any hero status work right now. You've done enough. No. You've been through enough. But, I mean, it, it is a little bit scary that at the end of the book when... What's the name of the dog again? Her her dog now? Tatlow. Tatlow. Tatlow brings her Speaking Reigns dog, uh, a doll, and she's like... Tatlo, are you trying to tell me I should save Spreaking Rain? And it's like, no, like, don't read that into every interaction. Like, st- you've done enough. Like, things have been crazy for you. Like, I want you to be safe. Okay, I love that moment. And I really loved the way that it ended. I think your mother sent you to be my dog now, Kaya whispered. This is like so me and Ray, but also like the stakes are oh my zero. God. We have a long, long way to travel, and I'll be very glad to have you with me. And there's a nice little vignette of Kaya's face being licked by this dog. And I did feel like that was a smart way to end the book because that's something a lot of kids will have experienced. And I was yeah. like, okay, this is this is a kind of nice moment. And it made me think of the beautiful illustrations in Kirsten's books and the way that she cuddles the kitten. Yes, So it's like as close to keeping with a trope that's across the series without it being too contrived. So I also think it it has a very relatable moment in that, like of people who have pets genuinely are wondering what their pets are thinking probably all the time. I know you are with Ray. I know I was the time I was with you and you were brushing Ray and he like literally slapped you across the face. Like that was a tough moment to witness. And I did wonder what he was thinking in that moment. But I mean, so it is like a lot of kids probably are feeling that too. So I thought that was a really sweet moment to end the book on. So I don't know where we're going. We'll see. We don't know where we're going. We know that Kaya has a new friend to get her there. And I'm very happy about that. I feel good about that. Yeah, that is sweet. So, Allison, if somebody wants to get in touch with you about any further 9-11 dog-centered films that you've missed in your list, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find me and Raymond at Allison Horrocks on both Twitter and Instagram. He He is often a star of that. I swear he smiled this week. Um, if oh you want to find oh boy. you or have God cat tips, where should they do that? You know, please find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney or Twitter at Mary Mahoney one, two, three. You can follow the show at American Girls Pod on Instagram. We're also a girls pod on Twitter. On our American Girls podcast website, you can find links to the sponsors who help us make this show and lots of other things like our merchandise and other ways to get in touch with us. 
and our Patreon, where we have a truly thriving Discord community. We have Total Request Hive, a channel where we talk about music, currently a pretty hot combo about Olivia's new album popping off. We do watch-alongs on a pretty regular basis. We make new channels all the time. We have one called The Parent Trap, which one listener was sad to learn is not about the movie, but it is a for space for parents. Um, although I think it can be about the movie too. So thanks to everyone who continues to support us on Patreon and all the different ways people support our show. We do so appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.